Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we are in part four of the King's Letters, Dearest Ones, that he wrote from Europe in May of 1945. The European theater is quiet, and the king and his guys have been able to travel a bit and relax. The weather has been good. And he is about to begin a three-day pass to Brussels. He's never been there before, and he's ready to go. And he writes about that trip to his family from Germany on May 27, 1945. Dearest ones, four days have passed since my last writing, and they were undoubtedly the fastest four days ever experienced. If I didn't know better, I would swear I had skipped a day somewhere. It was all so fast, it seemed more like a dream rather than a reality, simply because I enjoyed myself to the utmost. Indeed, my short leave couldn't have been better if I had planned every minute of it before embarking. To come back here is such a terrific letdown. I honestly feel miserable. It was going from the sublime to the ridiculous, as I'm existing in the ridiculous at the moment. I had a much better time in Brussels than in Paris, though perhaps that was due to a certain factor which didn't exist in Paris. Nevertheless, I was impressed greater with Brussels as a large city. Paris might be prettier with its famous and well-known landmarks, but it was lacking in the hustle and bustle found in Brussels. Paris might be classified as a sightseer city, while Brussels falls in the category of a busy big city. The city hasn't been ruined by the war, and I doubt very seriously if the population suffered at all. The stores seem to be amply filled with large stocks. The streets are jammed with automobiles, of which surprisingly were American-made, the majority of them. There were quite a few models as late as 1942. This was something you didn't see in Paris. There didn't seem to be any gasoline shortage. I was very much impressed with the modern apartment buildings. It was the first I had seen over here to equal the States. One boulevard reminded me a great deal of Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, only without the lake. As always, I didn't do much sightseeing. I only see the places along the way from the hotel to the nightclubs, so I really didn't see much of the city. Maybe I'll get back soon and see some of the famous places. We left here Wednesday morning by truck, arriving there for lunch. We were billeted in one of the hotels which had been taken over by the army. It was a nice place, though nothing extraordinary. However, we weren't charged for the rooms nor the meals, which I still can't understand. 
Perhaps they figure we spend enough as it is without adding more. The prices are about the same as in Paris, terribly high. For example, in a nightclub, one pays 80 francs for a drink of cognac, while in the hotel, which is army-controlled, you pay about 15 francs. A bottle of champagne would cost 1,000 francs, while in the hotel it was 200 francs. That's why you can go in for three days and spend a month's pay. The first afternoon I spent in the barbershop, I got the works, everything down to a manicure, and I came out feeling like a million dollars. It's a real treat to go to the barber. Remember how I used to hate it? Now I look forward to it. That night we started out to hit all the night spots. There's only one really nice place by the name of Corso's. It's rather modern and just as expensive. The rest of the places are mostly dives and women. The place is running over with them. I saw some beautiful women in Paris, but not as many to compare with Brussels. About eight out of every ten are blonde and dressed very attractively. Walking into Corsos at night is like walking into a floor show. The place is packed with them, sitting around the floor at tables, waiting to be dated. For a guy who hadn't seen a pretty woman or dated one for a few months, it isn't hard to take. Well, we got ourselves a couple of queens and started to do the town. Believe me, it was awfully dark out, but we had a good time. All the places have to close at 11 o'clock. Why, I don't know. So at 11 o'clock, everyone starts looking for the dives that remain open until the wee hours. I never went up so many dark alleys and into so many dark doorways. The places can't be seen from the outside. It's all in knowing exactly where they are. All in all, the evening was a huge success, and I was thoroughly satisfied in every respect. Now for the best part of all. The following evening at dinner in the hotel, I ran into two nurses from Koblenz. It was by strange stroke of fate and a most fortuitous one, as it was like seeing someone from home. They were there on paths just as I, and we still had two days to spend together. That night we went to the dance in the hotel, which was just for the officers on leave. Well, I've had fun at dances before, but I can't remember when I have enjoyed myself so completely. It seemed as though everything were perfect, the music, the drinks, and most of all my date. At first I thought it would be strange and difficult to date an American girl again. I was afraid that I had lost my technique and ability to entertain. But I found I hadn't, and we had a grand time. It was so much like being in a nightclub in the States, I almost had myself believing it. After the dance, we found a cute little place where we could drink and dance. The atmosphere was just like you see in the movies. I only wish I could describe it to you to make you appreciate it. It's one of those things that I'll have to tell you about instead of writing. The following night, we did the same thing, only it was twice as much fun since it was our last night. I don't think I'll ever forget that little 
spot. We had the bartender mixing us a special concoction of his own, which was out of this world. I talked him into giving me the recipe if I promised not to give it away. So when I get home, I'll fix you a drink that comes direct from Brussels. Someday I would like to come back here again to see all the places I've been. It would be a wonderful experience. Well, Saturday had to roll around, and that meant we had to leave. The temptation to say to hell with everything and remain there was almost too great to combat. Knowing I was coming back here was just as bad as it used to be when I knew I would have to return to fly missions. Now I've been back a day, and I feel even worse. Maybe getting a taste of normal living isn't good for me. Upon returning, I found two very sweet letters from you, and today I received another. They are dated May 15, 17, and 18. I'm glad you're finally receiving my mail also. I was most surprised to hear that Jackie gave birth to a girl. I had no idea she was pregnant. The family is enlarging so fast I can hardly keep up with it. I'm glad Cece is enjoying herself. You certainly are keeping busy. I still don't know what will happen to us, just that we are going back to France. The transportation problem is so terrific. I suppose it will be quite some time before we get home. Thanks for the stamps. I wish you would keep sending packages. One of the fellows received a jar of dill pickles, which was delicious. Please try to send me some along with other foods. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly, hoping you're well. Love to Cece and Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. Stanley wrote his longest and most descriptive letters from his visits to Paris, Cannes, and Brussels. He was a young warrior who really enjoyed living large. And it's understandable that the guys would try to squeeze everything into a few days of city life, particularly when the war loomed. And it's interesting to read his observations about life after the war and what he was hoping to accomplish and avoid. And he writes to his family from Germany on May 29th, 1945. Dearest ones, I have your letters of May 20 and 21 and also your package containing chicken, shrimp, and cheese. These were most welcome, and I do thank you. You've really been kept busy with so much entertaining. It's well you've been having so much fun. Cece couldn't be getting much rest, though I'm sure she's enjoying herself. I can hardly wait to hear what you think of Jane's baby and how Jane looks. It's too bad Marvin was shipped. And now that Jane is there, I do hope you'll see her often, as she must be longing for lots of company. Let me know, too, what you give her. I know you'll make it wise. The weather has been miserable for the past week. It has rained almost every day and has made it very chilly. 
It only helps to add to the misery of this dark hole. Thank goodness we're going back to France. A few more months of this, and all of us would blow our tops. At least in France, we can go into the different cities like St. Quentin and Reims and Amiens to receive a little diversion. Of course, I don't know how long we'll remain there, though I hope and expect to be home sometime in the fall. I've seen Bill almost every day. All we do is cry on each other's shoulders about how we wish we could be home. He wants to get married in the worst way. It seems that every guy who has a girl waiting for him plans to marry the minute he lands. It's getting to be a natural vacation after a few months over here. I sort of like the idea myself. I wish you would do a little shopping for me. I need some green ties, and all I can find here are khaki ones. Also, I need a new cap to go home with. The one I have is battered. I would be ashamed to land in the States with it. I want only one type, the Bancroft Flighter size 7. Please see if you can find one for me and about three ties. But don't send any cap other than the one I have specified. I would appreciate it. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly, hoping you're well. Love to Cece and Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. The Silver King is having a difficult time getting back to the basic things after Brussels, but he's getting some packages and extra food, and those are all good things. And he's thinking more about the end of the war in terms of returning home, although it's going to be a while before he gets to the States. And he writes to his family at the end of May. He's back in France, and it's the 31st, May 31st, 1945. Dearest ones, once again, I'm back in France, back in the very same hole I left four weeks ago. Although we're living in a brick building instead of a wooden barrack, everything else is the same. This is the second day here, and already I'm fed up with it. There isn't a damn thing to do all day. We could go into San Quentin for some diversion, but since we can't take a shower, we hate to put on clean clothes over a dirty body. After we left here the first time, the French civilians stripped the building of all its plumbing. Now we must wait until it's replaced before we can become clean again. Believe me, sometimes I think I'll lose my mind if I don't get out of here soon. Sometimes I think flying missions again would be a relief. Yet there's no relief in sight. God knows how long we'll be stuck here, and each day seems like a year. I think I'll go into town tomorrow night out of sheer desperation. You asked why some of my letters were headed Holland while others were Germany. The way it was, we were based on the border. Headquarters was in Germany while I was living in Holland. The border was right through the field. For the record, the town nearest us while there was Venlo, just north of Aachen. 
Today, received your letter of May 2-2, also one from Leona. Your mail is a real godsend. I only wish it would come three times a day. It seems my mail isn't getting through as fast as yours. Just one of those things. I'm terribly sorry you're having trouble with your teeth. I do hope the dentist isn't too rough on you. And let's not have any more talk about you being old. Due to the lull and monotony, there isn't any more news. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly and hoping you're well. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. P.S. Please send some dill pickles. I'm craving them like mad. Stanley writes and continues to explain the nuances of his war to the family. And when his unit has moved from France into Holland briefly and why he's bunking near Venlo and writing from Germany because that's where their headquarters was, it's remarkable that he is so patient throughout all of these letters and years. And of course, he remains hopeful about getting home. And in between all those things, he's hungry as usual. And he's got dill pickles on his mind. As we reach the end of the Silver King's letters, dearest ones, from May of 1945 in Europe. And you are listening to The Silver King's War. 